rock and roll. Good morning. <laughs> hello, hello. Woohoo! That was a good one. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Coffee Time with Marie Teresa CPA. If you are returning to the show, welcome. We love having you here. If you are <clears throat> new to the show, uh, please make sure to put a thumbs up or hands up down in the chat so we know you are new. Thank you for joining us today. Um, as always, I remind everybody to make sure to subscribe the channel that you are watching or listening to us on. Uh, we are live every Thursday uh, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. So please make sure you click uh, subscribe, you click on the bell, you do what you got to do to make sure that you are with us every Thursday. Um, just a quick uh, intro. I am your host, Marie Teresian, uh, CPA. Um, I'm, uh, uh, whoa, I am just getting stuck here. I am so excited, by, by the way, guys, because I have a special guest for you. So I'm all like so happy. So, <laughs> um, again, I'm your host, uh, you know, Marie Thorstad. I'm a certified public accountant and a chartered global management accountant, um, an auditor, and a CFO. Um, I have created a, a very special methodology, Valuation MT, which I use to help business owners to grow from their first million uh, to 10 million and more. I have also authored a couple of books, which I will put the, the links in the chat. I want to save as much time to make sure I introduce you to my special guest. So today, as always, I have my my colleague, my friend and uh, um, and tax partner, Pedro Gonzalez, CPA. Good morning, Pedro. Good morning. Good morning, Marie. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Pedro Gonzalez, uh, CPA, business and tax strategist. We're here to help you achieve your financial goals. Uh, we, we achieve that at least through three uh, fronts. Uh, that is your cash flow, in, in this uh, economy is extremely critical right now. We're doing a lot of work on that area, helping a lot of businesses uh, in that area of the cash flow, taxation. Uh, it erodes uh, wealth regardless of where you know, your business and, and, uh, and situation is at the moment. So, and then finally, the exit strategy. You know, we're all going to exit. It's just it's kind of been how we're going to exit. Absolutely, absolutely. And today, actually, Pedro is going to help be my co-host as we introduce my special guest. Today, our special guest is from Canada. Yay! Douglas Cowgill is a partner of Cross-Border Visas, U.S. Business Immigration Lawyers. He is a U.S. licensed attorney and a licensed practitioner of foreign law with the British Columbia Law Society. He is an active member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Previously, he worked for one of the largest immigration firms in North America, assisting individuals and corporations of all sizes with a vast array of immigration services, including non-immigrant work visas, green cards, waivers of an inadmissible, in, oh, inadmissibility, and U.S. renunciation of citizenship applications. One of his primary goals is to develop meaningful relationship with his clients so that they feel confident about the attorney handling their case. He represents clients with a wide variety of U.S. immigration applications, including uh, TN visas, E-1 visas, E-2 visas, think about that, H-1B visas, L-1 visas, green cards, through family sponsorship, 
uh, uh, green cards through employment, renunciation of U.S. citizenship, and waivers of inadmissibility. He earned his B.A. degree and a J.D. degree, both from the University of Wisconsin. Douglas, welcome to the show, Coffee Time. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Marie and Pedro. This is uh, it's an honor to join you guys today. We love having you. So before we go into the questions, I want to take one moment, Doug, if it's okay with you, just to tell everybody some of the things we've talked about in the past couple of shows. Uh, guys, just a quick summary. Make sure to go check out some of the shows we've done in the past where we've talked about self-employment. We have a lot on that. We've done tax planning. We've talked about uh, 1031 uh, exchanges. We've talked about motivation, uh, mindset, entrepreneurship. We've also talked about recently IRS tax audits and financial audits. But today we will be focusing on especially E2 visas, okay, to the U.S. And here we have our expert, Douglas Cowgill. So, Doug, we're going to start, especially, we want to get to know you. We want to know yeah. why you chose this, this area of law. Tell us a little bit about yourself and our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you alluded to in my background, I'm originally from the United States. I went to law school in the United States, became a lawyer, in Wisconsin and also in Washington. Um, and when I initially went to law school, my goal was to do something uh, more ideological, like environmental law, perhaps. But as reality sunk in and I had bills to pay and um, my background wasn't really suitable for that area, I was kind of at, at a time struggling to find what my career path would be. And actually, what got me into immigration law is the relationship I developed with my now wife, uh, who was in Canada, mm -hmm. and she already had her, her career lined up as a teacher and uh, was pretty adamant that she did not want to live in the United States. <laughs> so that led me to move to Canada. And as part of that, I went through the immigration journey myself, not mm -hmm. obviously to the United States, but to Canada. Way. And, and that you know, introduced me to that process of applying for a work visa, applying for permanent resident status, applying for Canadian citizenship. And it was something that I didn't really envision was was an area that people would perhaps need services with when I was going through law school or that it would be rewarding. But as it turns out, I think the process of helping people move from one country to another, just as I did, is an area where I found you can not only provide expertise, but also really help people uh, get from where they, you know, where they are to where they want to go in life. And it is really rewarding to see visas approved and people following their dreams into a new country. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've actually been in Canada for a little while before I actually did the other way around where my husband is actually from the U.S. and I had to move to the U.S. because he did not want to go to Canada. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what I've that's what I've seen. We have those kind of relationships, those that kind of connection between the economies where people are mm -hmm. crossing the border all the time, and it it you know wedded an opportunity for me as a U.S. lawyer moving to Canada in a market where there aren't a lot of U.S. licensed lawyers to provide a service that a lot of Canadians are now looking for, which is help with U.S. immigration. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the few areas where I wouldn't have to go back to law school in Canada and kind of convert my U.S. law degree right. to Canadian law degree. I could just, you know, 
take the schooling I had done, the bars I had passed in the United States and take all that knowledge and provide services from Canada for people that are looking for this uh, support. Yeah, yeah, that is that is so awesome. That is awesome. Um, you found you found a niche. This is this is this is all about finding a niche, right? It's a it's a perfect niche, absolutely. Um, so, what are the uh, the biggest trends that you're seeing? At, at least, I mean, especially in the last two two and a half years, especially with mm-hmm. COVID and all the stuff that happened. What are the biggest trends that you're seeing now uh, in immigration to the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. So, I would say that. Uh, we're seeing uh, specific case types being utilized more than in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Two investor case, which I think we'll talk about in more detail, is certainly one of those. We're seeing a lot of Canadians that are looking at places in the United States and seeing opportunities to develop a business. And also perhaps they have more of an ideological connection with specific areas of the United States. And they're sitting on capital gains in Canada from real estate that's just boomed. And so they're thinking this is a time perhaps to cash out of Canada and Mm -hmm. enter the U.S. market. Uh, And we're seeing that in droves. We're seeing a lot of Canadians that um, have developed lives here in Canada now looking to move to the United States and take a different path in life. the other thing that we're seeing, of course, due to the pandemic, the government agencies have uh, reacted kind of slowly, in my opinion, to uh, processing cases and uh, having proper procedures in place to get through cases in a timely manner. So applications that perhaps used to take two to three months are now taking six to eight months. Wow. Uh, you're seeing inter- interview delays uh, at specific times if there's an outbreak at the consulate or if the, the staff is... Uh, short on who can see the the applicants at at their office. So increases to processing times have become a a reality and kind of an unfortunate norm now of the pandemic. Um, uh, But I think other than that, the other shift has been from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, which in my experience has been favorable for most uh, individuals seeking to immigrate to the United States. I think we're seeing a reversal on some of the policies that the Trump administration had implemented, such as uh, no longer deferring to prior approvals within the USCIS agency. That policy was reversed. So now the Biden administration is deferring to prior approvals. If, for example, you're extending a work visa with the same employer. Mm. We're seeing, I think, a higher approval rate as a result of that change from immigration agencies like USCIS. Got it. Got it. Is it similar on the, uh, let's say in the family, uh, you know, uh, visas, let's say if a family's, uh, you know, bringing a family member or, or is it different? Yeah, I think the family visas, you know, the only the main impact on that at the moment is just um, the processing time as it relates to what specific relationship you have. If you have a spouse who is a U.S. citizen, that category has largely remained untouched and you've been able to get through the system. Again, there have been delays at consulate locations like the U.S. Consulate of Montreal for citizens of Canada. Uh, If you're in the United States and you can file for an adjustment of status, I'd say that those types of cases haven't seen as significant of impacts as people who are abroad. Other types of relationships like parents of U.S. citizens over the age of 21 did have uh, a bit of a problem earlier in the pandemic as 
consulate essentially decided not to process those cases for a specific period of time. But that has now reopened. And so there still might be a bit of a backlog as far as they, they do get through cases in the order that they're filed. Right. Um, but they're working through that. And I think it's just a matter of time before they catch up. Yeah, understood. That, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Any thoughts, Pedro? I feel like you're thinking about a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I, I guess uh, my, I, the thing is, uh, you know, my interest uh, is more about the investor visa. You know what I mean? It's a topic yes. that uh, yes, I, I want to take advantage of this uh, conversation because uh, dealing with entrepreneurs and so on. So, uh, you know, we're familiar with the E2, but what other types of uh, investor visas, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, probably some yeah. of the audience might not be aware that there's other ones uh, out there. So if you, if you can share yeah. with us. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, the E2 is the most common, I would say, because it it is defined as the treaty investor category. So usually if if you're making an investment in the United States, that's probably a starting point to look at. But there are other categories. And one that we used a lot during the pandemic was the L1. Uh, and this isn't an investment category. This is to transfer a manager or executive from a Canadian business to a U.S. company. And you might think, well, how does that relate to an investment? Well, if, if you own a business in Canada and rather than close or sell that business, you keep it open and invest in a U.S. affiliate or U.S. subsidiary, uh, you can then potentially transfer yourself as the manager or executive of the business in the L1 category to work for either a three-year period or a one-year period if it's a new office. And the reason that we were recommending this strategy for a lot of citizens of Canada specifically is that unlike the e-visa category, which has to go through the U.S. consulate system and is that uh, agency that's had a lot of delays in processing applications, L1s uh, have the option to be submitted at the port of entry. And so essentially an applicant can just go to the port of entry, uh, like a U.S. land crossing or a pre-flight inspection facility, submit the L1 paperwork at, the, at that port of entry and obtain the work visa on the spot. And so if, if they have a plan of investing in a U.S. business and creating jobs and they can relate that to a Canadian business they already own, then that is a category that we were using a lot to bypass that wait period for the e-visa category. Um, and when I say Canadian business, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Canadian business. You could have a U.K. business. You could have a Spanish business. It, it it's mostly, I would say, our firm deals with Canadians because we are based in Canada. But um, the key is really that you have a business outside of the United States, and now you're looking to invest in a um, an affiliate company in the United States. And so that would be that would be one option. Uh, the other the other category that investors often use is more of a permanent solution: the EB five investor visa. This visa category for for people looking to move to the United States has been very confusing. This is one that's had several policy changes throughout the pandemic. There are essentially two different ways that you could get an EB-5 green card. One is if you invest in a regional center, which is a pre-approved investment business that USCIS uh, believes is a legitimate business that can take this investment from foreign investors. Uh, the other is if you invest in your own business and you invest over the threshold that is required uh, to, to satisfy the EB-5. The strange thing, though, is um, as part of ongoing legislation, the regional center programs have uh, essentially ran into a roadblock. They've now decided that that program is on hold and we're awaiting future legislation to uh, reestablish it as a legitimate option 
for regional center investors going forward. Um, you still do potentially have the option to get a green card by investing in your own business. Um, I would say that's less common. Most, most investors that we've dealt with are typically investing in the regional center due to the fact that it has been pre-approved by USCIS. Um, as far as, uh, do you only work with, uh, Canadian investors or, uh, are you open to other, uh, yeah, so we work with citizens of any country again, as, as a firm based in Canada, most of our inquiries or referrals come from people that are based here in Canada, but we have been able to assist clients all over the world from, from the United Kingdom to Asia, uh, to, yeah. to South America and, you know, the categories that are available are pretty much the same, regardless of nationality, especially as it relates to like the E2. Mm -hmm. The consulate that you're dealing with has a different process. And so we have to go about figuring out which, what each consulate wants from us for each specific applicant. But the overall concept of like an E2 is the same. It's an investor who is opening a US business, typically investing a substantial amount into an active company <coughs> that will typically employ U.S. workers within the next five-year period. Right. It's, and, and when you say, for example, just for those who are listening, when you say a significant, what is what is significant? Is there, a, a, what is the minimum threshold? Let's put it that way. Yeah. <coughs> uh, so typically the consulate, uh, I should say generally, the consulate doesn't have a bright line number, which is frustrating, I know, for a lot of people. <laughs> Yes. However, the consulate in its foreign affairs manual talks about a proportionality test where you kind of compare what has been invested to what will need to be invested to successfully get this business up and running. Okay. And in that proportionality test, there is reference to a $100,000 investment being sufficient if that is 100% of what is required to start the business. So I guess there's kind of two different ways to look at that. If you buy an existing business and the purchase price is $100,000, it's already an operating business. Right. That should be viewed as substantial. If you start a new business and you invest $100,000 in equipment, your office, your maybe initial employee, your, your lease agreement, and now you can provide services, that also should be viewed as a substantial investment. Right. But I would say at the same time, that $100,000 amount isn't necessarily the baseline. There certainly is an ability to get an investor visa with a lower investment amount. If, again, you can successfully show that that is 100% of what's required and this will be a business that is profitable and employing U.S. workers in the next five-year period. Um, on the flip side, it might seems strange if you have like, let's say $150,000 investment, but this business is going to need $3 million to get up and running. They might on the proportionality <laughs> test not do that as a substantial investment because it's uh, percentage wise, uh, nowhere near that 100% mark. Uh, so even though the investment amount is larger initially, as, as at least the percentage required to start the business, it'd be much lower. Yeah, definitely understood. Understood. And then, uh, so what are some of the specific, I guess, requirements, if you were going to give us a very high level, not not going into too much detail, but like, what are key things that uh, a possible investor should be, you know, considering to be ready for if they're going to do like a selected E2 investor application? Yeah. So the first thing is uh, you, you need to you need to be a citizen of a treaty country. Uh, that's a starting point to qualify. And so uh, Canada obviously is 
uh, does have a treaty with the United States. Uh, and if you're not a citizen of Canada, if you're a citizen of a different country, U.S. State Department does have a list that you can look at uh, that we could share a resource with that you can quickly verify if your nationality, if your your passport country is on that list. And so the consulate will be looking uh, first for you as the applicant is your nationality on that list. Mm. Um, second, they'll be looking at the business and its ownership. Again, most of the investors we deal with are the owners of the business. So there would be a match between the nationality of the business owners and the applicant. Usually they're the same. Uh, but if there's not a match, if you're working for a different business that has a different owner, they're going to want to see that the owner's nationality matches your nationality. And so that's the second criteria that they're going to be looking at. Third, they're going to be looking at the investment that you're making. How much is it? Is it at risk? Is it, uh, you know, it, can you can you prove that you've spent the money or will be spending the money? Um, and number four, is it into an active business as opposed to like a passive real estate investment? You know, mm. these are the, the main things that they're going to be looking at. And so when we go to the at risk portion of an investment, you know, it's not sufficient to just transfer $100,000 to a bank account in the United States and say, I'm going to be using this, you know, this is my operating capital. Uh, they want to see that you've spent that money on something that is related to your business, like, like a vehicle or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, commercial space. And if you can show that, then uh, they, they are typically going to approve most e-visas in my experience because they are trying to promote investment and job creation in the United States. Um, but right. it's not sufficient to just have have the money set aside to invest, get the visa, in, in, perhaps in your mind, and then go and make the investment. Uh, so I think some, there is some frustration with clients. They just kind of see it as a chicken and egg problem. Well, how can I make yeah. it? <laughs> Absolutely. I can see that. I can totally see that. I was like, do I do this one or this one first? Kind of like rolling together. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's almost kind of you do have to take a leap of faith in, in most of these applications and Put your money at risk and trust that the consulate will see that this is a legitimate business that uh, that will likely support us employment in the future yes absolutely and uh so and one of the key things and i wanted to bring up here is that in, you and i had a common a couple of common clients actually and we had to put together a business plan okay. to kind of support this how how important do you think is a business plan and projections as you're submitting this type of an application I think for any new business, it's critical. I think they're definitely looking at a business plan as, you know, giving them a sense for what this business will do. You can provide them your incorporation documents, your attorney can prepare, prepare a cover letter. Uh, you can provide bank statements and receipts, but if they don't have a sense for what this business will do, what it's projected to do, what kind of people you're going to be employing, uh, most of those cases I think are going to struggle. And on the flip side, individuals that go and get a professional business plan done. I, I can't recall any cases that we've seen refused with that type of specific documentation, especially detailed business plans that go through all the various areas you might be thinking about as you're trying to open a business. Who are the competitors? Mm -hmm. Why have you identified this location? What, what kind of revenue do you anticipate in the next year, in the next three years, next five years? Who, what's, uh, what, what staff members do you think you need to hire and when do you need to hire yeah. them? And just kind of an oversight, why have you chosen this business and why do you think it will succeed? Um, the professional business plans that I've seen all convey that kind of information. And 
that's that's exactly what U.S. consulates looking for. It's what USCIS is looking for. And I've had a lot of success with those kind of cases where you have a professional business plan. And so my sense is that that is something the government is very much looking to see for all these cases, especially right. new businesses. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pedro, do you have any uh, other questions? I thought you were going to ask something. <laughs> well, I just want to make sure I'm not hogging the whole. No, 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 no. It's everything. Yeah. No, this is a very interesting topic. Uh, you know, like uh, we we have discussed uh, even uh, in other occasions, uh, you and I, yeah. as far as uh, the immigration to, into the United States, and I think a lot of people will benefit from this information. So, no, no, I'm enjoying the the conversation, and uh, and I, uh, you know, I think a lot of the people listening to this will also gain a, a good understanding about what is needed because like you said you know it's not simply to deposit money in a u.s bank account and assume that, okay that that that's it um mm -hmm. the other aspect of probably some people don't understand the importance of a solid uh presentation you know from uh, the application mm -hmm. the, the the financials that are going to support the, the this investment you know in the end uh, any country i imagine canada canada will be the same they, if i'm going to go over there they want to see that i'm not just simply going to end up being uh, a I'm sorry to say, but you know, a, 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 a kind of a weight into the, the economy. And you know, instead, I'm going over there to either invest, I'm going to go there and create employment. Uh, it's the same here in the United States. They want to see that you have a solid business, that the way that you demonstrate that in this case could be a solid business plan, a solid uh, uh, documentation about the application. So there's no, no hiccups in the process. Yeah. Yeah. What I yeah. found is very interesting, uh, Doug, is that. I didn't realize that, you know, part of that is, is can also be purchasing an existing business or the the other one you mentioned where <clears throat> they can purchase an affiliate in the U.S. and be able to transfer a manager. And now they have someone working here instead yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, I did not even know that one. That's a very good one to know. I yeah. think our audience yeah, would like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, and, and so we, we are aware of these options because we see them coming from our Canadian clients mostly and uh, other clients around the world, just the various services we've been providing and uh, applications we've assisted with. Those have been the two main ones for business owners, either the E2 or the L1. And the L1, I think is, it's a great option for people that, um, you know, are trying to get there sooner because of the, uh, the faster processing time at the moment. Right. Um, and in addition to that, there's also, a potential path with that to a green card uh, for the permanent transfer of a manager as opposed to the temporary transfer of a manager. Um, and that green card category would be the EB1C category. And so it's it's become an attractive option because of that path where you can both start with a non-immigrant visa that can be attained relatively quickly and also provide a long-term path to becoming a permanent resident in the United States, which then potentially allows for a U.S. naturalization application down the road. Uh, and so we're, we're seeing, yeah, the L1 category being used more. Uh, but the E2 category, I would say, is still, by and large, what most investors are using. And that's because a lot of investors don't have a business in Canada that they can say, you know, this is, I'm transferring myself from this business to a U.S. affiliate. Right, right. E, E2 category doesn't require that. You can start something totally new. You can sell your house in Canada buy a business in the United States, can be anything like a restaurant, a, a gas station, it can be any kind of business, or you can just start something new. And we've seen, you know, 
Maria and I have worked uh, together on a few different types of businesses. It's It's been a lot of different types of businesses, anything that you can think of. Um, you can start a business and if you can show you're investing in that, you're committed to it. And again, with a proper business plan, I think you can convince U.S. immigration that they'll at least give you a shot at it. And uh, then then it's up to you to take that business. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Stick around and we're, we're going to help you prove it too. <laughs> exactly. No, they, um, and one of the things, uh, Doug, I wanted to uh, mention, uh, and, and just for you to clarify, is that with the E2 investor visa, I, I don't know if that's the only one, but uh, the, the investor can also bring their family and be able to stay for two years, I yeah. believe. Yeah, absolutely. So usually E2 visas, uh, depending on the, the nationality, uh, uh, I'll, I'll focus on Canadians. The visa itself would be valid for a period of five years for citizens oh. of Canada. Uh, now, there is a bit of confusion because when you enter the United States, you get an admission record from U.S. Customs that allows you to live continuously for two years. But oh. you can still use that visa in your passport over the next five years to be traveling back and forth. And usually you, you will get a new two-year I-94 admission record close to when the current one is expiring if you're traveling. Uh, but that is something you have to monitor. Uh, but separately, yes, dependents are allowed to obtain dependent visas. So that would include a spouse and any children that are unmarried and under the age of 21. Uh, for the children, they'll be able to go to any schools in the United States with that status. And the spouse actually obtains an open work permit in that status now that allows them to work or go to school in the United States. Wow. I mean, that, that's that's probably, I see why that, that would be a very attractive yeah. type yeah. for an investor with a family. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are definitely different ways to structure it. I mean, uh, we've seen, especially with husband and wives, that initially may, maybe one of the couple members is thinking of being the active worker and being the investor. But when they realize that actually, if I go in as the spouse, I get the open work permit. <laughs> that gives them the ability to take on that role, give their, their spouse the investor visa, and you know they can they can still work together as as the spouse with the open work permit. You can still manage the business that is owned by the family, but if you have other skills that you can perhaps take advantage of and find a U.S. employer, the U.S. employers are going to look at you more more attractively. I think, given that they don't need to sponsor you for a work permit, they right can just employ you on your E2 dependent status. And that's another potential path to a green card. If you find an employer and they want to keep you there, maybe they will sponsor you for a green card. And so, yeah, there's definitely different ways to take advantage of the category. Uh, but because of that, that, that advantage for dependents, especially the spouse, uh, is it's a great category to think about. This is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Well, I, I, this has been so, so incredible great yeah. information doug it's been super I, I know our audience and our, our viewers our listeners are going to get so much value out of this show uh thank you so much for coming on the show do you yeah. have any anything else on your mind that we didn't ask you that our viewers should actually know about uh, i don't think so i mean i think <laughs> no so me, mm -hmm. well, yeah, well, what, what is the best way to reach you uh douglas 